We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time, it's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiaoxing Chung, an advisor for independent lawmaker Freddie Lim. Hey, good to see you, Kevin. And on the telephone by regular commentator, Ross Feingold. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing Taiwan not being invited to the resumed World Health Assembly, questions over the purchase of Pfizer-BioNTech coronavirus vaccines, plus clinical trials of local vaccines, Ma Ying-jeou celebrating the fifth anniversary of his famous meeting in Singapore with Xi Jinping and calls for President Tsai Ing-wen to also meet with Xi, bookstores here closing in protest of Singles Day online sales and a new home for the island's only museum dedicated to commemorating comfort women. But we'll begin with the US election and while a certain person appears not to be accepting the outcome, Joe Biden will be moving into the White House where, along with myriad of other issues, he will have to deal with a Taiwan one. And on the phone with me now to discuss how a Biden administration will likely tackle the issues of security and trade with Taiwan, I have Albert Cho, an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at the Donghai University. So, Albert, of course, we have the Economic Prosperity Partnership Dialogue between Taiwan and the US next week at which the head of Taiwan's delegation, Deputy Economics Minister Chen Zhengqi, says he hopes to establish deeper and higher level economic partnerships with Washington. But of course, with who's Washington? So do you think there are concerns that any deals made during next week's meeting uh, could be a bit problematic because the Biden administration could change the way it views Taiwan? Well, actually, the war, uh, the trade war between the US and China has been going on for a while uh, since... Uh, President uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, started to to be concerned with this uh, U.S. deficit with China. So I don't I don't think that when Biden uh, takes inauguration, he will kind of put an end to this. I think he will just pick up where Donald Trump left and continue to 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 go on with this. And as far as the Taiwan U.S. trade talk or discussion. I think um, Taiwan has been, especially under the Taiwan administration, she has been pretty cooperative uh, with the United States uh, in a sense that uh, she allows the imports of the U.S. Po- uh, pork, uh, e- even if this has caused a lot of controversies in the domestic Taiwan. But this is really served as a trade uh, for further diplomatic uh, tie with the United States as well as you know a lot of uh, arms sales, a better package of arms sales in, from the United States. So I, I think that this is a good start uh, because Donald Trump, uh, you know, is likely to lose the election even though he uh, is not willing to concede yet. But I think the development in the end will 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 go in that direction. So so yes, that's that's you know, my current thinking. Right. What about a bilateral trade agreement? Because it was many people have been calling for a Taiwan-US bilateral trade agreement. I mean, do you mm-hmm. see do you see Joe Biden moving on this quickly, or do you think this will be a gradual thing with Taiwan-US ties? Mm-hmm. Well, um, this is a great question because President Trump uh, he is uh, a fan of the bilateral trade agreement instead of uh, multilateral trade agreement, whereas for Biden. Uh, he served he served as a vice president for President Obama for eight years. 
and Obama's uh, policy is uh, largely by uh, multilateral, multilateral. Okay, so uh, they would like to engage in a economic kind of alliance where a lot of uh, you know countries get involved in. So I I, I think that uh, Biden will tries to go back to the TPP and, and tries to uh, you know kind of start over the talk with China. And Taiwan really serves as an important uh, role in this scenario because, uh, first of all, you know, uh, Taiwan and the United States, we are good trade partners for sure. And also, Taiwan has a lot of, uh, you know, even President Trump, he did not like uh, China in terms of the trade deficits. But Taiwan does have a lot of business persons, you know, conducting business in, in China even had a lot of factories in China. So I think Biden might, you know, might take a different approach uh, and hopes, you know, Taiwan maybe to start talk with China as well. And Taiwan, United States and China, we all come together, uh, you know, in a table and to talk about a different possibility that's, 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 you know, the situation that Donald Trump would not like to see. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, in the Biden administration, I think the whole thing will come 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 back to the multilateral kind of setup. Right. Of course, saying that, of course, how would how do you think that affects U.S. arms sales to Taiwan going ahead in a Biden administration? Well, um, this is kind of tricky because uh, during the Trump administration, he would like to see the bilateral situation, uh, bilateral relations with Taiwan uh, in many regards. Uh, from military arms sale uh, to economic talk, the trade talk, okay? But Biden might want Taiwan not as a country that rock the boat, different from Trump's strategy or Trump's approach. He probably would like Taiwan to uh, to be as a player that contributes to the stability of the U.S.-China relations. But also, on the other hand, I think, like what I suggested, Biden will continue to uh, to, cre- to solve the problem of, of the deficit with China. So, you know, in this regard, I think Taiwan should still relatively kind of uh, uh, in favor of Chinese, uh, I mean, United States strategy or policy instead of the China's policy. So this is more like still, you know, I think from the perspective of, of the U.S. administration, regardless of Trump or Biden, uh, they would like to see Taiwan kind of kind of sort of biased towards the United States than China, but just to a different degree. Right. And for Trump, he would like to see Taiwan absolutely 100% in line with the U.S. interests at the expense of China. Whereas for Biden, you would like to see the same situation occurs as well, but not to the extent that to totally break the tie between Taiwan and China. So this is kind of a, a dynamic situation. But, you know, at this point of time, uh, we remain highly speculative. We don't really know until uh, much later, especially uh, how the whole election dispute will be resolved and, uh, you know, who... It's going to be the staff or 
the bureaucrats uh, under the Biden administration, not until later. So we will see what's going on. And what, do you, what steps do you think the Thai administration will be taking as Biden prepares to become the U.S. president? You know, President Tsai Ing-wen, uh, she was regarded as a as a uh, unfair supporter to Trump administration in the eyes of many Biden supporters. So that, you know, there were a lot of evidence. For example, um, in Tsai's inauguration on May 20th uh, this year, President Tsai Ing-wen's uh, staff kind of cut off the video clip uh, where Biden people kind of congratulate her uh, in her inauguration speech. And that, you know, caused a lot of sentiments uh, in, in D.C., even though uh, Tsai Ing-wen's diplomats uh, emphasized that uh, they did not mean to do that, and that was due to technical kind of issue and sort of like misunderstanding. But still, uh, that has uh, left a kind of image that, uh, you know, Taiwan is kind of biased towards Trump instead of Biden. Uh, having learned that, Tsai right away congratulates Biden uh, when the Electoral College votes uh, reach to the threshold of 270 on the parts of Biden uh, just instantly. So that was kind of serve as a remedy or a compromise for the future Biden administration. And now I think Taiwan is pretty smart uh, in terms of, you know, work on the relationship with Biden administration. And uh, it's not only express our uh, grateful and also congratulations, Biden, but also kind of uh, concretely strengthen our cooperation with Biden's staff. So even though, like what I said, uh, it's still highly speculative who is going to be uh, as Biden's uh, people in the cabinet in the future, you know, in the State Department. Still, you know, we can, especially the Chinese administration and also the Foreign Affairs uh, Department, the MOFA, they, they can uh, come up with a list of candidates who are likely to be in those important positions and start to contact them and to talk to them uh, to get, you know, get the relationship warm up first. And maybe later we can kind of move on to a more concrete proposal. Do you think the Biden administration could be a bit wary of the Tsai administration? I think Biden personally did not really know Taiwan that well, which is the same as when Donald Trump to inauguration four years ago, Trump himself, you know, does not really know Taiwan that well and has no personal tie to Taiwan. Uh, but what that matters most is their staff and also their assistants. So, and, and additionally, uh, Biden is so old and uh, he's like already 77. So I don't think he has a lot of energy to, to, to think about Taiwan as much as Donald Trump does. Even though Trump is pretty old as well, like 74, but you know, people has, have different health conditions. So I would say uh, President-elect Biden will delegate the power regarding Taiwan to his staff a lot. So having said that, I would argue that we really have to shift our attention on who is going to be working for Biden. So that's like the most immediately important thing to do right now for Taiwan.
And that was me in conversation with Albert Cho, an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at the Donghai University in Taichung. Moving on now, and the World Health Assembly resumed virtually this Monday, Taiwan time, and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs bemoaned the island not being invited once again to participate, saying that that was due to ongoing obstruction by China. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen, however, reiterated the government's hopes to be included in the WHO, saying over 100 parliamentarians from across the globe are voicing their support for Taiwan's inclusion. Now, the head of the United States mission to the United Nations in Geneva and American lawmakers also called for Taiwan to be included in the World Health Assembly. Here in Taiwan, meanwhile, Premier Su Jing-chung said China's continued obstruction of Taiwan's inclusion in the WHA based on political factors would only lead to more of a backlash in the international community. While Health Minister Chen Shih-jong said Taiwan will still continue to push for participation in WHO events despite being excluded from this week's WHA. Now, the chair of a World Health Assembly session meeting this week cut short speeches by three of Taiwan's diplomatic allies as they were attempting to voice support for the island's participation in the Global Health Body's annual meeting. So, Ross, of course, you call it the pity party. There's no pity party this year. It's, it's, it's virtual. Yeah, once again, you know, this whole thing is all just once again, right? It doesn't matter if it's a year in which there's this horrible virus, global pandemic. We seem to be just repeating the same things that have happened in previous years, that parliamentarians, whether it's from national parliaments or or the Congress of the U.S., the Parliament of Germany or the United Kingdom, uh, supranational organizations like the European Parliament, uh, the specific uh, governments that have spoken out for spoken up for Taiwan, you know, they, they've done this every year, and Taiwan still does not get to sub, uh, uh, participate substantively. And, and no other uh, country walks out over this, right? So yeah, of course it's China who's obstructing Taiwan's participation, uh, but you know, for Taiwan just to accept the statements from you know we're just like re- rinse and repeat here. I mean we got to move on and find a different strategy. Yeah, but but you have to ask yourself: Is just really just China, or actually the WHO or WHO just internalize this whole you know censor censorship thing? Because if you look at the the recent controversy surrounding the uh, WHO's Facebook, you see that a lot of people trying to you know support Taiwan by commenting on on their post, and they got censored. So um, if you see all the screenshots, um, you see people trying to type any kind of Taiwan, any mention of Taiwan. You see a red warning sign that says this comment cannot go through. So, I mean, is it just China or is it the whole of WHO that even the the, the, the Facebook page of WHO is taking on the uh, habit of censoring people's comments? So this is this is intolerable, right? Because in fighting you know pandemic or in fighting any kind of diseases, you know politics should be the last considerations. And if any year that Taiwan should join, you know, as an observer to a WHO, is this year with uh, Taiwan being such a uh, strong force in in fighting. In the pandemic and with the Taiwan going 200 days without local transmitted cases. So this is something that the, the, the international community could really benefit from. And it's just, um, it, it is just sad to see that not only the WHO is again not inviting Taiwan as an observer, they actively censor any mention of Taiwan online.
But that's just not the key issue here, though, Xiao. You know, that, that they, they, you know, their Facebook page is not, a, it's not the public forum. It's, it's not the square or, or the debating space. It's not a message board for people to have discussions about this issue. Right? You know, that's just not the point of the Facebook page. But we could argue about whether or not the Facebook uh, page editor at, at the WHO headquarters is, is a tool for China. It's not going to help uh, Taiwan have substantive participation. And, and given that we know China China's position is very clear. It's really up to the major countries around the world, such as the United States and Germany, France, UK, Canada, Australia, to, to do more about this issue. I, I, to me, something like the Facebook page uh, is really not the main issue here. I mean, Xiao, Ross mentioned earlier that maybe they don't walk out. Do you think possibly certain countries' representatives should walk out? Or, so, or let's say walk away from their computers as yeah. it is this year. Well, like the, the, the U.S. has certainly, you know, voiced their, their concerns. And then, um, you know, President Trump has uh, has asserted that the, the U.S. Will, will walk away um, but will, will leave uh, the U- WHO. Um, and I think that is certainly the last resort because, you know, that the war is still under a pretty heavy, you know, uh, pandemic that the case is still rising up and up especially in the united states so uh, people need to get together and find uh, a common you know practice to fight this disease but uh, among this i mean there's a really people should really tone down the uh the, the politics in this and then seriously looking at the practices that is working in countries like taiwan or south korea and learn from the the the, the, the you know, best practices so th- Especially, is right now is really, really the critical time in here. Well, South Korea's got best practices. They're part of the WHO. They'll be participating. I, I don't know if, yeah, if that's good, good salesmanship for Taiwan to say that there's another country that can spread the message. Yeah, but Taiwan is one of them, right? Because, you know, we are going like 1,200 days without local transmitted diseases. So this is something that the world can really learn from. So, I mean, if, if, if South Korea can, you know, can share their, their practices, so can Taiwan. So, I mean, I don't see any way why, you know, the WHO is insisting to keep Taiwan out of its doors. And, of course, Ross, Donald Trump, of course, famously just said, I'm pulling out the WHO. And we, now we have the U.S. chap who in Geneva from the U.N., demanding that Taiwan be entered. We have US lawmakers, of course, demanding that Taiwan be entered. Why should the WHO listen to people that work for Donald Trump when Donald Trump is pulling out the WHO? Uh, it's an excellent point. It's not going to have much persuasion. And I think that goes back to my my earlier point uh, that if, if the, the main power brokers, the largest countries, economies, the countries with the most influence, the United States being the, clearly the most important one, but others as well, uh, are not going to take this issue to to a to a different place uh, with a more substantive action on behalf of Taiwan. Uh, then this will not change, and we'll just keep going through the same conversation and exercise every year. Taiwan will have its separate events. Taiwan will meet with countries bilaterally on the sidelines of WHA or WHO meetings or at other times. During the president's eye, and, and Taiwan government officials have had innumerable bilateral meetings with, with uh, uh, government officials and NGOs from other major countries around the world during, during this year. It's all been publicized. So 
it's not like Taiwan lacks communication with other countries around the world on, on the COVID-19 issues. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely right, Gavin. I mean, why, the WHO staff or other countries are, are going to maybe smile politely when the United States uh, says this, but the, they're, they're obviously waiting for the Biden administration to take office and to formally uh, rejoin or undo the actions that, that President Trump has to take the United States out of the WHO. And staying with health news, we're going to chat a bit about the coronavirus in Taiwan for a while now because the Central Epidemic Command Centre said this week that Taiwan may be able to purchase the Pfizer-BioNTech's promising coronavirus vaccine through the COVAX allocation plan by March of next year. However, the health officials did stress that before the clinical trial ends, it's still impossible to know whether a vaccine is truly safe and effective. Taiwan, of course, joined the COVAX in September, but the government has not released any details of how many vaccine doses it plans to buy through the plan. Now, Taiwan-based TTY Biofarm announced last month that it had been authorised by BioNTech to sell 30 million doses of the vaccine, but that authorization had expired after the German company failed to negotiate agreement with the Ministry of Health. Health officials, however, are disputing that explanation, saying that TTY failed to provide documentation actually proving that it was authorised to represent the German company. Now, of course, Taiwan is also working on its own coronavirus vaccines, and this week the health minister said that three local companies, Adimmune, United Biomedical and Medigen Vaccine Biologics, expected to complete phase one testing of their vaccines in the coming days. And the Central Epidemic Command Centre says it's now looking to recruit at least 20,000 volunteers to participate in clinical trials of the locally developed coronavirus vaccine. So, Xiao, Taiwan could purchase the vaccine from, of course, the German company, BioNTech, but, of course, there was a dispute because TTY, which said it had a licence to sell it, apparently didn't show the government the licence, or so the government says. Yeah, there's just a lot of confusion surrounding the vaccines, right? Especially there's a critical issue of, of the distribution. I mean, I heard this uh, upcoming vaccine needs to be kept at a temperature of minus four degrees Celsius, and it and so you probably have to do it with dry ice. Um, so it, this is gonna cause a lot of you know hardship in distributions and and, and how do you transport it from you know from the United States to Taiwan. Um, so but going back to the the pandemic. If you look at Taiwan's example, you see that the vaccine is really not the uh, the, the most important issue in fighting pandemic, right? Because you, for, of course, if everybody wear masks and wash your hands and social distance, I mean, you have you will, you know, drive down your um, transmission numbers, uh, your cases. Um, so this is the, the 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 most critical part. And then the vaccine, number one, it takes time to you know to distribute. Number two, it takes time to for the population to reach uh, the critical mass of immunity that's needed to prevent a, a, a wide widespread pandemic. So, so yeah. I mean, we are definitely optimistic to see this uh, vaccine being, you know, developed, uh, being said to have a 90% effective rate. But we are still very cautious uh, in, you know, putting our bets all on this uh, distribution of this vaccine. Well, uh, there's some interesting issues here. One, Taiwan clearly is able to participate in in international efforts uh, with regard to uh, pandemic 
response and then rolling out uh, vaccines. So even if it can't participate in WHO meetings, clearly there are still platforms where Taiwan can participate. There's no excuse for this confusion over whether or not uh, an agreement was reached with with the the German company to uh, sell the vaccine here in Taiwan. I mean, I think the government and industry need to work a little more closely to not embarrass themselves in the eyes of the public or or the global community. But uh, there's one thing, uh, again, I'll just emphasize that it is reason for us to be optimistic that it looks like there will be vaccines in the near future. And Taiwan will participate uh, and it will have a chance to purchase uh, if it's something that has to come from overseas rather than uh, something that's developed here in Taiwan. And Xiao, what about the locally developed vaccines? I mean, will you be volunteering to be one of the 20,000 people needed? Oh yeah, if it was promising, I'd definitely sign me up because uh, this is this is very important, right? So in order to have uh, the op- economies open worldwide, I mean, n- the vaccine needs to be effective and needs to be distributed. So if we can uh, speed up the process um, and it's safe, then, then definitely sign me up. Ross, I mean, would you volunteer to be one of the volunteers to test the vaccine? Uh, I have faith in the authorities. So if the authorities in Taiwan tell me that it's safe to participate in in the vaccine trial, sure, I'll do so. And of course, 10,000 people signed up within the first 24 hours. Yeah, that's uh, that's impressive, right? Because from that you can tell that people are really eager, you know, to get this over with. People are just being driven mad. People, a lot of people say, "Oh, I, I want to travel to Japan to to United States." It, it is the lockdown is uh, is getting to people nowadays. Yeah, I, I'd like to know from Xiao how uh, whether. Uh Freddie Lim or other members of the legislative UN have signed up to to be a, a participant in the vaccine trial. Lead by example, Xiao, right? <laughs> I'll definitely ask around, but I, I don't think they have any problem with that. <laughs> Maybe they're too busy. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we shall return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week and former President Ma Ying-jeou waxed lyrical about his 2015 meeting in Singapore with China's leader Xi Jinping at a forum this past weekend organised by the Ma Ying-jeou Foundation in Taipei, which of course marked the fifth anniversary of said meeting. Now speaking at the event, Ma said that he would support a meeting between Xi and President Tsai Ing-wen if such a meeting would bring the sides closer to cross-strait peace. However, he went on to say that Tsai must create a political foundation for such a meeting by first agreeing to the 1992 consensus. Now, Ma went on to blame both Beijing and Tsai Ing-wen for ratcheting up cross-strait tensions in recent years, and he called on China to cease making incursions into Taiwan's air defence identification zone, which he said only raises the ire of people here in Taiwan, and he also accused Tsai Ing-wen of taking sides in the US-China trade dispute, and stressed that he worked to balance Taiwan's relations with the two countries to maximise opportunity and minimise threats when he was head of state. Now, some people have described the Marshi meeting as having historical significance and say that it should be viewed as a way that both sides can re-examine the current standoff. But, of course, other people have quickly turned around and said, well, was the meeting such a big thing? So, Ross, was the 2015 Marshi meeting a big thing? Is it still relevant today? And do you think Tsai Ing-wen's going to go, OK, I'll accept the 1992 consensus, let's meet somewhere else but not Singapore? 
Yes, no, and no. Uh, so it was, it was a, a, a big deal at the time, but have to emphasize that at the time literally means the, the few hours that they met with each other. Uh, I was there in Singapore. There, there was certainly an enormous amount of international media attention, as well as obviously attention here in Taiwan. Uh, but President Ma was in the final months of, of his term in office, and we knew at the time that uh, there was very little likelihood that the Kuomintang candidate was going to win the presidential election in January 2016. And uh, that, that, that is what turned out to happen. President Tsai was elected and she campaigned. And subsequently, when she took office, uh, ha- had a different vision for uh, policy and the relationship between Taiwan and China. And the voters reaffirmed that uh, four years later in January of of this year. Uh, so the, the relevance of the meeting is, is just frozen in time that, okay, it's, it was the first time it happened. And uh, yeah, we can get into those debates, which I think are rather silly, whether or not President Ma used the, 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 the name of the country or said, hey, she, I'm, I'm the president of the Republic of China. How do you like that? You know, people just want to attack President Ma over something uh, as small as that. And the ironic thing is most of the people making that attack are usually people who wish the name Republic of China would just go away and the country's name would be changed to, to Republic of Taiwan. Uh, so... Uh, it, it was relevant just as uh, the first time that they met, but really had no, no, no relevance to the policies of the subsequent government under President Tsai. Uh, and now we're in her second administration. It still has no, no relevance. Uh, I, I don't think there's any likelihood that President Tsai's government will wake up and suddenly say, uh, yes, we do. We've changed our minds. We do, we do accept the 92 consensus. Uh, so very little likelihood of that. Uh, I, I, President Tsai, I think, is is sincere in a willingness to to meet with Xi Jinping. But uh, on the other hand, uh, if she was to have a list of preconditions, just like the Chinese side would certainly have a list of preconditions, uh, the two sides are so far apart. Uh, so I, I see little likelihood uh, of meeting. But let's hope that they do. If 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 Ma can meet Xi and and Trump can meet Kim Jong Un, then uh, certainly uh, Tsai Ing-wen and Xi Jinping could meet one day. Yeah, well, um, I don't see that happening anytime soon either. Um, wow, it's been five years. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly a, a big deal historically, right? Because um, it, it is a big deal, but because it, it serves as a wake-up call for millions of Taiwanese, especially young Taiwanese, to realize that, wow, if something... Is is if if you don't do something, then then this Taiwan and China is moving so close together to a point that that is really dangerous. So I mean, especially to me because I voted for my enjoy back in 2008, if you can believe that. Um, but then over the years, um, you know, my enjoy is moving Taiwan closer and closer to Taiwan in a dangerously and reckless way. So uh, and it all culminated to this uh, marshy meeting of. Uh, 2015 that that really demonstrates how reckless you know the, this movement is um so th- let's just look back and see what happened in these past five years i mean xi jinping called you know move, moved and called himself an emperor and uh, doesn't have a success in inside for for years and years um and also he um you know prosecuted you know uyghurs in xinjiang and then stranglehold you know the, the democracy in hong kong and then persecuted million uh, many many um dissidents in china so china 
over the past five years is moving to such a level of authoritarianism that 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 when you look back you 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 can't help but to be amazed that wow Taiwan was at one point so close to being reunified with China so that that as I said just serve as a wake-up call to many many Taiwanese who you know might not even care about politics before might not even care about this divide between green and blue but after that meeting they ask themselves um, is being reunified with China the right way to go with for Taiwan and the resounding answer is no that's why they voted for Taiwan in 2016 and again in 2020 right so th this is the way we're going and there's no turning back and not to even mention the 1992 consensus right because it is just a hoax uh, even when you read the book by the passing president Li Denghui uh, he says so in, in the book that there's no 1992 consensus because he he was a president he, he should know right so if you look at the, the, the 1992 consensus on the KMT side they say it's one China and open to interpretations by both sides so whether you uh, you, you want it to be one China PRC or one China ROC but it's just not true if you go to the other side of the strait you'll see that it's just one China period and that China is PRC People's Republic of China so there's no consensus there so it is just a hoax and we're just happy that you know it, this year when they celebrate the fifth year of the uh, Mashi meeting um It is such a low-key celebration, right? Because in Taiwan, my angel is celebrating in Taiwan and with no delegations from China. And the Chinese side, they celebrate on their own terms and with no delegation from Taiwan. So this is just something that is, you know, going to die in the, in, in the piles of history books. And Ross, looking in hindsight, I mean, if the if what happened in Hong Kong over the past several years happened prior to Mind Zhou's meeting with Xi Jinping, do you think that meeting would have even taken place? Well, if it happened in the preceding months, it may have been difficult, but uh, I, I do disagree with, with Xiao's characterization of the meeting. I, as I said earlier, this was at the, the, the very end of, of Ma's presidency. Uh, we knew the Kuomintang was not going to be reelected. There, there was no unification talks on the agenda of, the, of this meeting, which was basically uh, to say that we, we finally met, that the, the president of, of Taiwan and the leader of, of China finally met face-to-face. -face. It's some kind of initial step. I mean, so many of those bilateral agreements that may have been bringing Taiwan and China closer had already been signed years before the Masi meeting. Right? These, are, these are things that were, were signed in 2010, 2011, 2012. Uh, so the, the meeting, uh, you, you can even just say it was, a, it was a photo opportunity for the two leaders, but it certainly wasn't negotiations about reunification. So I'm kind of sad my good friend uh, Xiao would mischaracterize the, the, what was just a photo app as a, as a precursor to to reunification talks, but uh, I guess it makes for a good talking point to excite uh, voters of, of some of the, of the politicians and political parties in Taiwan. Uh, and the other stuff, you know, that, that uh, Xi Jinping is, has made himself or given himself the ability to, to rule for multiple terms, potentially for a life, uh, what's going on in Hong Kong or in, in Xinjiang, I mean, these are all terrible things, but um, I, I don't think they're relevant to assessing the the, the 2015 meeting, which I think we could all agree is really which is just a moment in time and it really doesn't have any lasting 
effect on the conduct or creation of uh, China-Taiwan relations. And Xiao, I'll throw this at you. Do you think the KMT as it is now under Johnny Jung, do you think Beijing has any impetus to actually talk to them? Well, I, I, first of all, I have to just uh, rebuff that, Ross, that photo out matters, right? Because for many people, they, they may not be aware of all the, you know, the agreements that's signed by the Mind Joe's government in the past few years. But when they see the photo album of mine, she, they, that is a shocker. So I think that, that that's truly waking up many people. And, and to answer, you know, Gavin's question, I think the, the Chinese government is finding less and less, you know, um, motivation to talk to KMT, right? Because they can, they see that the KMT is struggling, you know, to to win, you know, Taiwanese people's to mice and struggling to win elections as well. So I, I think they are finding other surrogates or even representations that they may look elsewhere. For example, like Cohen's party. So I, I think the KMT is building less and less a power in 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 the being able to orchestrate cross-strait talks. And Ross, do you think that, do you think China would talk to the KMT as it's currently run? Uh, it's difficult. I, I, they might be willing to engage with individual uh, legislators, but the reality is that the KMT uh, has you know very few members of the legislature. Uh, they still have some of the uh, local leaders that were elected in 2018, but we're now getting uh, within you know less than two years till the next local election. Some of those leaders will not be reelected given the, the current uh, political environment in Taiwan. So what, you know, what would be the motivation to engage with any of the local leaders? And anyways, given that there's no travel right now, you know, we don't have buying delegations coming from China to Taiwan and trying to uh, divide central and local government. So uh, that opportunity doesn't exist either. Uh, yeah, and then the, the KMT, as, as a, at the central level, at the, the headquarters level, is still struggling to articulate what their China policy is. Uh, you know, they said they were going to roll something out, then they did, and it just kind of seemed really similar to to their usual ninety two consensus uh, policy. And, and fair enough, a political party needs to stand for something. But whether or not that something is popular with the voters, we kind of know the answer to that. And uh, you know that, that just takes us back to to your question: you know, why why would why would China engage with a political party whose message is either unclear or not popular with the voters? And some 40 local independent bookstores shuttered their doors on Wednesday of this week in protest over what they say was the negative impact of Singles Day online sales on their business and chances of survival. Now, scores of bookstores also took to social media to stress that point to their customers, writing on their pages that in the book price war, you and I are the ones who will be ultimately affected. Now, of course, much of the anger was directed at momo.com and books.com.tw, two rather large e-commerce sites here in Taiwan that were offering a 34% discount on books on November 11th, Singles Day. So, Xiao, do you think independent bookstores shuttering their doors on Singles Day was a protest or a rather silly thing to do? Because they obviously couldn't get any customers. Well, I mean, I have mixed feelings, so I think it's a bit of both, right? Because, um, you know... Uh, First of all, I, I love those bookstores. I mean, these boutique bookstores. I love to visit them. I, I like to, you know, um, stay there and then read my books and maybe enjoy a cup of coffee um, in there. So they, they offer a really good vibe, right? Because and so they are 
here to stay. Uh, I mean, so people love them. Uh, but on the other hand, they they their sales, especially the sales of books, uh, really suffers, right? I mean, but it's happening all across the globe for the past few decades already. So the, this pro- protest is really, um, in some point, to no avail, in my opinion. Um, but uh, it, it's still useful to draw people's attention to the struggling of your local bookstores. So, hey, folks, if you're listening, I mean, if you love your local bookstores, just make sure you pay them visits from time to time after the sing- singles days. Because for, for me, I, I always, you know, um, browse my books online, but I make sure I pick up the physical copies in those bookstores. Maybe that's one of the strategies. And Ross, closing bookstores to protest lack of book sales. Uh, as you indicated, it just caused them to lose a day of, of revenue. And uh, you know, Xiao pointed out something interesting. You know, people like to to go to these places and hang out, maybe have a cup of coffee. But as, as Xiao said at, at the end of his remarks, you also got to buy something. So if people are just going to go there and hang out, you know, that's not going to keep them in business. That you know, it's just a sign of the times. I mean, uh, you know, commerce has moved. Online, it's very difficult to for for small local bookstores to compete. This is not a new issue in Taiwan or in the United States or anywhere else around the world. Uh, there was a whole movie about this starring Tom Hanks, and how long ago was that movie? Uh, so uh, you know, they have to adapt. Right? I mean, the, the world, the the market, the, the the e-commerce market, the market for books is not going to stop uh, proceeding forward. So the, these bookstore owners really do have to adapt to, to the current environment. And before we go, there was some good news this week as Taiwan's only museum dedicated to comfort women has found a new home. Now, we talked about the pending closure of the museum on our July the 10th episode, but the financially strapped facility is now set to reopen in April of next year at a brand new location. Now, the Taipei Women's Rescue Foundation says the new site will be located in an office building close to the Minchuan West Road MRT station. And they say that the new location will save on maintenance and renovation expenses. Of course, the original museum was located on the historical Dihua Street in Taipei but of course it had to close in due to financial problems. So Xiao there history being saved but not saved in a historical location in Taipei moving to a rather an office location in Taipei. Yeah, but nevertheless, we're still happy to see this museum, you know, stay in business, right? Because um, we see, if you see the, the the press conference announcing their new location, uh, you know, the the councilwoman, Taipei councilwoman Lin Liangjun, who who is my friend, you know, like described as the best, because this is one of uh, the only you know museum about you know our history about comfort women's in the World War Two era. So. It, offers a lot of significance to a lot of people whose, you know, grandmas and aunts, you know, serve in the, um, in, in, during that war. So this really gives them a, a place to uh, find solitude and then reflect upon our history. So I, I'm really happy that, you know, both the uh, Ministry of Culture and also the Taipei City Government, you know, step in and, and help orchestrate this, uh, this move. And then so we hope that in the future more people, you know, chip in. And then if they, 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 they look like they're going to run a fundraising drive and sometime next year so I want to make sure people are pay attention to that and make sure we help support this, uh, this museum to stay in business But Ross I mean, do you think this museum maybe should have been located in a historical part of Taipei? Of course it should be and uh, you're moving into an office building I wouldn't call the, the, the location remote but, but it's it's unusual uh, it's not in a historic district it's not in a place with a lot of 
foot traffic, um, certainly not in a place with a lot of foot traffic by foreign tourists. Let's all hope foreign tourists return soon uh, when, the, when, the, when there's a COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately, you have to be pessimistic about, about the outlook for its finances, even if they're able to raise a little bit of money in the short term. Inevitably, they're, they're going to run into problems again. And uh, look, we can't avoid the main issue here. The main issue here is that uh, you know, there, there's still uh, some some differences of opinion, to, to put it uh, you know bluntly, about the the Japanese colonial era, and that uh, there are a lot of people in Taiwan who uh, still feel it was very beneficial for Taiwan in many ways, infrastructure, education, um, and when they compare it to what came next, when the national government. Uh, accepted the Japanese surrender and then moved, subsequently at the end of the Civil War moved its capital to Taiwan and imposed martial law and white terror that by comparison the Japanese era was was a better time for Taiwan. So people uh, struggle to uh, make an issue of the wrongdoings of the Japanese when, when they were uh, ruling Taiwan as a colonial uh, authority. Um, th- that's really the heart of the issue here, and that's why I think you see even the, the central government struggles to provide sufficient support. And it's nice that the Ministry of Culture is trying to assist. It's not enough, and I, I think this just emanates from uh, you know, this really you know, struggle to, to say that the Japanese did terrible things. And that's where we'll leave it here on this edition of Taiwan This Week on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And I've been joined in the studio this week by Xiaoxing Chung. Good night, folks. And on the telephone by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.